0: Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I still remember it well. It was Tuesday, May 24th, 2016. You know how when you're on a plane and you land, the flight attendant says that it's now permissible to use transmitting and receiving functions on your portable devices while you're taxiing to the gate? I just landed on a 14-hour flight from Hong Kong. And as soon as I flicked my phone out of airplane mode, it just blew up. Emails and texts, all about one thing. The Tragically Hip had just announced that their singer, Gord Downey, had brain cancer. Now, at first, this didn't make sense. Had had the jet lag already kicked in? Was this some kind of hoax? I mean, this was Gord. He was practically a Canadian superhero. Nothing like this was supposed to happen to him. But it was true. The emails and texts kept popping up, dozens, hundreds of them. And we all know how the next 18 months played out. When Gord left us in October 2017, it was really rough. The best tweet I saw that day was, Canada closed, death in the family. And the country spent the next week trying to explain to the rest of the world how a singer of a rock band had brought an entire nation to tears, even the prime minister. Where else in the world does something like this happen? The answer is that you have to be a special kind of person. An artist, a writer, a thinker, an activist, and a poet. This is the story of Gord Downie, Canada's own rock poet. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. From the Phantom Power album of 1998, that's the Tragically hit with Poets, featuring, of course, Gord Downey, the band's frontman and lyricist, and a poet himself. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and this program is all about Gord's life and times in a different sort of way. We're going to hopefully fill in some blanks about what you already know. He was one of the most interesting personalities this country has ever produced, and certainly one of the best lyricists we've seen. So evocative, so rich, so much meaning, so... Canadian. All right, best we start at the beginning. Gord was from Amherst View, Ontario, just west of Kingston, on the other side of Collins Bay. His dad, Edgar, began as a traveling salesman before getting into real estate. His mother was named Lorna. Gord was the fourth of five kids. There was Mike, Charlene, and Paula, then Gord, and then finally Patrick. His godfather was Harry Sinden, a Stanley Cup winning coach for the Boston Bruins, which explains why Gord wore number four. Bobby Orr's number when he played hockey. Plus, Sinden was the head coach for Team Canada in the 1972 series with the Soviets. It also gives you a little bit of a background to the hip song Fireworks, which was written about all those games. The connection there is that Sinden worked as a real estate developer with Edgar. They got to be friends, and then, well, there you go. So, no surprise that Gord loved hockey. He was a goalie for Amherst View teams, and they were good enough to win a provincial title one year. Gord bust into Kingston Collegian Vocational High. Former students included John A. MacDonald, Robertson Davies, and Don Cherry. There was something of an outsider element to Gord. He wasn't actually from Kingston. He was from across the bay. And he kind of liked that. It set him apart just enough. In grade 11, Gord fronted a high school band called The Slinks. A couple of grades ahead of him were some guys in a band called The Rodents. That would be Gord Sinclair and Robbie Baker, a couple of guys who grew up across the street from each other. Back in grade 9 was a drummer named Johnny Fay, and also in grade 11 was Paul Langwa. Sinclair and Baker moved on to Queens University after graduation. Meanwhile, Gore joined a group called The Filters. He also enrolled at Queens two years later, trying his hand at things like political science and film studies. He also really got into reading poetry. Leonard Cohen, L. Purdy, Irvin Layton. His novel reading list included books from Margaret Atwood, He read Northrop Frye, too. He was one of the most influential literary critics of the 20th century, and a Canadian. Things started coming together in 1984 when Gord, then 20 years old, the other Gord, Robbie, Johnny Fay, and a sax player, about 15 years older than everyone, named Dave Manning, formed the Tragically Hip, taking their name from a skit in a 1981 VHS tape making the rounds called Elephant Parts. This was produced by video pioneer and former member of the Monkees, Michael Nesmith. And if you're a stickler for details, that same phrase, tragically hip, shows up in an Elvis Costello song entitled Town Crier in 1982. It's also on the Imperial Bedroom album. Just thought I'd point that out. Their first gig was in November 1984 in a small room at the Kingston Artists Association. And from there, they started playing wherever they could in eastern Ontario. The Terrapin Tavern, the Lakeview Manor, a place that also hosted strippers, Their set consisted largely of blues rock standards. Early stuff from the Stones, material from the Doors, the Yardbirds, Marvin Gaye, Otis Redding, Van Morrison, that kind of thing. In 1986, the same year Gord graduated from Queens with a bachelor's degree, Dave Manning bowed out of the band, and he was replaced by Paul Langlois, who first met Gord when they were both in grade 11. Paul was the son of the school's gym teacher and football coach, and once he joined the lineup of the Tragically Hip would not change for the next 31 years. Eventually, the band started venturing to play shows in Toronto. The hip got a big break when a friend gave a copy of their demos to Hugh Siegel, a friend and former senator in Ottawa. He delivered it to a conservative pollster named Alan Gregg, and he was partners in a management company with a guy named Jake Gold. They liked what they heard so much that they went to see what the band was like live. They were impressed, so they signed on to manage the band. A self-titled debut EP was recorded in Toronto and this became their calling card to drum up interest with some record labels. This is how they came to the attention of Bruce Dickinson, the brand new president of MCA Records. He was tipped off by a song he'd heard on a compilation CD, so he flew into Toronto from New York and was impressed with the two-song set the band showcased at Massey Hall. Once the deal was done, that debut EP was reissued and the hip were on their way. Gord settled into his role as the band's lyricist. He often had a notebook with him, writing down things that popped into his head, bits of conversations he remembered, things that he saw. There were pages and pages of these fragments. When the band jammed, Gord flipped through these books until he found a line or two that felt really good with what the band was playing in terms of groove and rhythm. Sometimes the meaning of the lyrics were obvious, sometimes not. I once asked Gord about the meaning of a particular song, I can't remember which one, but he looked at me and said, well, what does it mean to you? And that was an answer he gave a lot. This, as far as I'm concerned, is the mark of a poet. Someone who weaves words in a way that's open to all kinds of personal interpretation and pathways to certain truths. True poets speak to you in ways that no one else can. And poets in rock are a rare thing. There's Dylan, Springsteen, Patti Smith, Jim Morrison, Bono, certainly, maybe Lou Reed. And then, well, what do you have after that? I guess stretching the definition of poet and rock. So, uh, Joni Mitchell? Yeah, but not exactly rock. Same thing with Leonard Cohen. You're better off finding poets in the world of hip-hop than you are in rock. But back to Gord. He was one of those exceptions. And the longer he wrote lyrics for the hip, the better he became. At first, he wrote words for songs. And if you were to read them off a page, they were okay, but they were rock lyrics. Later, though, Gord's lyrics read just as good as they were sung. His words were evocative, filled with references and allusions, name-checking people, places, and things in a way that made you want to find out more about, uh, well, whatever the hell Gord was talking about. Take this track from 1992's Fully Completely. It references Canadian author Hugh McLennan, who was also a professor of English at McGill in Montreal. He's famous for being the first Canadian writer to attempt to describe the national character of Canada. In the song, Gord paraphrases a passage from McLennan's 1957 novel The Watch That Ends the Night, a book that he picked up to read between gigs on the Road Apples tour in 1991. The central character laments that he should have proposed to the love of his life when he had the chance. No prospects, too much pride, the depression, but mostly not enough courage. completely was loaded with songs that got people exploring subjects and topics laid out by Gord. For example, he sings of the legend of Bill Borilko's plane crash and the Stanley Cup curse on the Toronto Maple Leafs that bizarrely mentions something called a 50-mission cap. What's that? What does that have to do with a doomed hockey player? Okay, let's, let's approach this from a poetic point of view. A 50-mission cap was a baseball-type cap thing worn by fighter pilots in World War II. If you had one with lots of wear, it meant that you were a seasoned pilot who had survived at least 50 missions. In the case of this song, Gord is talking about people, himself really, who worked in this cap, who scrunched it all up to make it look old, thereby making it look like the person wearing it had more experience than they really did. Now we can relate this to a line in the song that goes, I stole this from a hockey card, specifically card number 340, from the 1991 edition of the NHL Pro Set hockey cards, that details what happened to Bill Barilko, Gord admits to just quoting the card, knowing that it makes him look more knowledgeable, that he's had more missions in life and more experience than he actually did. Barilko's story is just a metaphor for the image Gord's character in the song wanted to portray.
1: I stole- this from
0: a more of some of the things you may not have known about Gord downey his writings his poetry and more coming up
1: Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally, and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Levine? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: If you're really going to go deep into Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip, you will be inevitably led to a Canadian poet named Al Purdy. Purdy had a career that ran 56 years, involving 39 books of poetry, Two memoirs, a novel, and four books that collected his letters and correspondence. Purdy was considered to be Canada's unofficial poet laureate, a great teller of myths and stories. And if you want to start somewhere, look up a poem called At the Quinte Hotel, which is set in Belleville, Ontario. It's a bit of satire with talk of beer and the relationship between art and commerce. Cutting to the chase, things devolve into a fight before the author wins over the crowd with his verses. In 2002, Gord appeared in a five-minute short film based on the poem. Let's have a listen to this. And the other voice, by the way, is Purdy himself. So tell us the poem. I am drinking.
1: drinking. I am drinking beer with yellow flowers in underground sunlight. And you can see that I am a sensitive man. And I I notice that the the bartender is a sensitive sensitive man. man too. So I tell him about his beer. I tell him the beer he draws is half-fart and and half-horseless, and all wonderful yellow flowers. But the bartender is not quite so so sensitive as as I supposed he was, the way he looks at me now, and does not appreciate appreciate my exquisite analogy. Over in one corner, corner. two guys are quietly making love in the brief prelude to infinity. opposite Opposite them, a peculiar fight enables the drinkers to lay aside their comic books and watch watch with interest. interest. As I I watch with interest, a wiry little man slugs another guy, then tracks him bleeding into the toilet and slugs him to the floor again with ugly red flowers in the tile. Three minutes later, he roosters over to the table where his drunk friend sits with another friend, slugs both of them, as of her electric kettle. So I have to walk around on my way for a piss. No, I'm a sensitive man, so I so say, I say to, to him mildly as hell, you shouldn't have knocked over that good beer that with them beautiful, beautiful flowers, flowers in it. So he says to me, come, come on. on. So I come on, like a rabbit with weak kidneys, I guess. Like a yellow streak charger, flower bar, I suppose. Knock the s*** of him and sit on him. He's just a little guy. And say reprovingly, violence will get you nowhere time, this time, chum. Will you take you me. Take me. I am a sensitive man. Would you believe, Would you believe I write, I write poems? poems? But I could see the doubt it in his upside-down face, in fact, in all the faces. Uh, what kind of poems? poems. Flower. Flower poems. So tell us a poem. I got off the little guy and, but reluctantly, for he was comfortable, and told him this poem. They crowded around me with tears in their eyes. I wrung my hands feelingly for my pockets. For it was a heartwarming moment for literature, and moved by the demonstrable effect of great art and the brotherhood of people, I remarked,
2: That poem ought to be worth some beer.
1: It was a, mistake, a mistake of terminology, for silence. for silence came, and was brought home to me in the tavern that poems will not, really buy, not really buy beer, or, or buy flowers, flowers, or a goddamn thing. And I was sad,
0: for I am a sensitive, sensitive man. man. would return to Al Purdy time and time again. There was a recitation of At the Quinte Hotel during a much-music performance. Gord appeared in a documentary on The Man in 2015, and that movie came with a soundtrack featuring songs and poems inspired by Purdy. Bruce Coburn, Greg Keeler of Blue Rodeo, Sarah Harmer, Jason Collette of Broken Social Scene, even Margaret Atwood appeared on that album. One of Gord's contributions was this. It's called The East Wind, a song he recorded with a band called The Country of Miracles. It's also on a solo record entitled The Grand Bounce from 2009. I talked to Gord about that record. In fact, what I did was write a blog post about the album, read it to him, and then had him correct me as I went along. This little clip will show you how widely read Gord was and how the things he absorbed became part of his lyrics. Now, a word of warning to anyone who slept through their literature, film, or history classes. You will miss the subtleties, references, and tributes to people like the late poet Al Purdy, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, Custer in the Battle of Little Bighorn, and a few other literate things. (laughs) This is where I'm kind of hoping you're going to fill in some blanks because I slept through some of those classes myself. I'll do my best. Okay. Gord is a poet as well as a lyricist, and it's been my experience that poets hate having to explain themselves because what they say is about the words, rather. No, what they say is about how the words feel, rather than what they say. Still, there will be questions. So, with the release date three, still three weeks off, here's a Gord-approved. I'm hoping. Track by track preview of what to expect from the 13 tracks. Ready? I'm ready. Okay.
2: I don't uh, believe a word of that, but uh, <laughs> you know. You don't? No.
0: No. Oh, what, what part? The, the no. bit about being a poet or?
2: Uh, no, it's all good. I wrote it, basically. Uh, I think that's from my bio that I wrote, uh, which of- I proofread, read,
0: right, redded, proofreaded, uh, thoroughly. Okay. Mm. So, let's uh, start with the east wind. After some distant studio chatter, the songs begin with one of the most astute meteorological observations I've ever heard in a song. An east wind is the laziest wind. It doesn't go around you, it goes through you. And that's absolutely true if you live in the Great Lakes, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's a biting cold wind. Um, And that was told to me by a farmer, so you know it's true. Those guys understand such things. And uh, it's almost verbatim his words, not mine. Mm -hmm. It's one of those sort of situations where he said something, he saw my eyebrow go up and said, you can use that. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, I quickly proffered a contract, he signed, and we're good. Um, But he, yeah, that's something he said, and the rest of the song, well, should I take it in turn? Do you want to? Yeah, go ahead. Is a collection of just that, found objects, uh, quotes from the late Purdy from um, Walter von Tilburg Clark, who wrote The Oxbow Incident. So the second verse, is uh night is like a room it makes the little things inside your head too important that's walter von tilberg clark who wrote the oxbow incident that's uh, which was made into a film by great. william wellman 1940 something right 1943
0: Alan. okay see
2: lost to which film for best picture oscar
0: 1943 okay casablanca was 42
2: casablanca is correct how do you do it <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ford was prolific outside the tragically hit. He released five solo albums while he was alive, and two more have come out since his death. These records started with Coke Machine Glow in 2001. It was released as a package, also coming with a book of poetry of the same name. Because of this two-for-one deal, this book is now one of the best-selling poetry books ever by a Canadian. It sold 10,000 copies in the first 36 hours. When the two were separated, the book sold another 10,000 copies on its own. So, not bad for a singer in a bluesy rock and roll bar band, right? Here's a sample from that. The track is entitled Nothing But a Heartache in Your Social Life, co-written with filmmaker Adam O'Goyan.
2: When the unknown that your fear in the clearing, when your world's gone flat, when you're waiting for your life to be depicted, feeling estrangement from escape, when you're packaged up, beautifully scripted, insulated with electrical tape, when the famous are getting air.
0: More on the music and writings and activism of Gord Downie coming up. When you have the soul of a poet, you're often drawn to things in the wider world. Gord was no exception. For the last part of this program, let's look at some of the non-musical things that were important to him. Things, um, Things that required poetic justice. Let's put it that way. First, the environment. Gord and the hip were involved in many programs and activities. From opposing the clear-cutting of old-growth forests in B.C. to making sure that we all have clean water, Gord was a board member of Lake Ontario Waterkeepers, which fought to keep the Great Lakes basin clean. The organization has taken on companies that discharge sewage into public waters. On another occasion, Lake Ontario Waterkeepers went after a company in Bath, Ontario, home of the Hips recording studio, that wanted to burn tires. In 2007, they forced the city of Toronto to explain why public beaches were closed. What kind of pollution was causing those closings? And then in 2009, Gord and the rest of the band were part of the Swim, Drink, Fish Music Club, which brought together musicians and environmentalists to help raise money to preserve clean rivers and lakes. You can learn more about them at swimfishdrink.ca. And Gord will also be remembered for his work and support of Canada's Indigenous people. We can go back to at least 2012 for this. The band's environmental activism led them to the Great Moon Gathering. This is an annual educational conference that is held by various indigenous communities along James Bay. And out of that came this song. If you want to go back to the HIP's Now for Plan A album, you'll find a song called "Good Night at a A couple of years after Gord and the Hip participated in the Great Moon Gathering, Gord helped publicize the horrors of the residential school program. To recap, this was a government program designed to assimilate Indigenous children into Western society. He and his brother Mike found a February 1967 article in McLean's magazine entitled The Lonely Death of Charlie Wenjack. This told the story of 12-year-old Cheney Wenjack, a young boy from the Anishinaabe First Nations, who was sent to the Cecilia-Jeffrey Indian Residential School in Kenora, Ontario. He'd been there for three years. On October 16, 1966, he and two friends, a couple of orphan brothers, ran away. After a few days of staying with an uncle of those two friends, Cheney decided he was going to walk home along the railway tracks to Ogoki Post, about 600 kilometers away. Cheney had nothing but a little food, some matches, and a light windbreaker. It was late October, so it got brutally cold. He walked for about 36 hours before he collapsed and died of exposure and hunger. His body was found by the engineer of a passing train. In the years that followed, Cheney became the focus of resistance against the residential school system. But when Gord took up the cause, Cheney's story exploded across the country and really around the world. Immediately after we heard about Gord's cancer diagnosis, We started hearing about a project called Secret Path. It was an album, Gord's last while he was alive, a graphic novel, and an animated film that told the story of Cheney and the residential school system. On October 21st, 2016, Gord performed the album at Roy Thompson Hall in Toronto. It would be his last full concert performance. The album begins with a song called The Stranger.
2: ...a secret path, ...the one that nobody knows... ...and I'm moving fast...
0: Gord's relentlessness with the issues facing Canadian Indigenous people... ...and the quest for reconciliation is a major, major part of his legacy. There's the Gord-Dowdy and Cheney wenjack fund. When The Hit played their final show on August 20th, 2016 in Kingston... Gord called out the Prime Minister by name, who was there, subtly demanding, okay, not so subtly, that he deal with these long-standing problems. On December 6, 2016, he was awarded an eagle feather at the Assembly of First Nations and given an honorary Aboriginal name, Wakapi Omani, which is Lakota for Man Who Walks Among the Stars. And on July 2, 2017, he appeared in Ottawa, speaking out for Indigenous people. The news of Gord's death came out on the morning of October 17, 2017. The cause, as we all know, was glioblastoma, an aggressive form of brain cancer. Anyone with that diagnosis does not have much time. But Gord certainly made the best of the months that he had left, tackling things that were so much bigger than him. Let me finish with this. On December 17th, a few weeks after Gord died, a bill was introduced in the Ontario Legislature. It was the Poet Laureate of Ontario Act in memory of Gord Downey. Two years later, it became law, and the province now has someone official to carry on Gord's love of poetry. And that's about the best thing any poet could ever hope to have. Poetry is one of those things that, if you're not into it, it's often something that's force-fed to you. You know, Shakespeare in high school, Robert Frost, E.E. E. Cummings, Keats and Yeats, Emily Dickinson, Dylan Thomas— But if you give it a chance, you may find that these verses speak to you in a way nothing else does. I still remember a high school English teacher defining poetry for me. She called it efficient use of words, maximum emotion and wisdom in the fewest number of words possible. And that stuck with me all these years. Song lyrics, at their best, can be pure poetry. The trick is finding lyricists who are up to the task. Gord Downey was certainly one of those people. If you're looking for more ongoing history shows, there are hundreds available as podcasts. They're available on all the platforms. Just sign on and download as many as you want. They're all free. If you have an idea for a show topic, drop me a line through alan at alancross.ca. We can also connect through Facebook, Instagram, X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, threads, even TikTok from time to time. And don't forget my website, ajournalofmusicalthings.com. Music news and information every single day. And to help you keep track of things, there's also the free daily newsletter that you should sign up for. Technical production for all this is by Rob Johnston. I'll talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.